prayer. Yes, Father, we thank you that Jesus came uh, with good news about the kingdom of God, that he came and claimed to be that king from you. And Lord, we want to own our allegiance to him today as we're here together. And Lord, if, uh, yeah, just help us to understand what that means as we consider his words. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit as we look into these words from the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. So you might, um, if you want to know where we are uh, or where we're going to be looking at from the Bible, it's on page 968 uh, in the versions nearby. Um, That's Matthew chapter 4. And uh, we're going to be reading it uh, in a moment or two. Uh, We're going to be spending some time during the summer months, during our kind of holidays, uh, so-called, I suppose, (laughs) uh, reflecting on some of the most well-known of Jesus' teaching. It comes from what uh, is called the Sermon on the Mount. uh, And I guess if, if people, you know, if you ask people around, tell us something about what Jesus said, probably the Sermon on the Mount might come into their answer, even if they don't know anything else about Jesus. Uh, I suppose um, uh, this bit as well that comes from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount might be described as one of Jesus' greatest hits, if you could say that, if there was a CD compilation of Jesus' greatest teaching. This bit would be uh, one of the the most popular, at least, again, as we'll read it in in a moment. If this is completely unfamiliar to you, uh, uh, most people, if you read these words, would know that Jesus said them and may kind of remember something about them from RE lessons years ago or whatever. It's the passage that starts off the Sermon on the Mount, which is sometimes called the Beatitudes. Beatitudes, we'll explain why that is in in a minute. There it is at the beginning of Matthew 5. Now, these sessions through the summer aren't meant to be like heavy Bible studies, but they're really a chance to, to just reflect a little bit on what Jesus actually says and allow his words to speak into our life. So through these uh, six or or, or seven or however many sessions they're going to be up into September, uh, we will be going quite slowly. We're not taking huge chunks of text or massive long stories, but lingering a bit on some of the things that Jesus actually says in a bit more detail as we go through. Uh, So, and I hope that during these these, uh, services through the summer, so it won't just be about the words that we experience and hear on the page, but as it were, all the songs and the worship will, will kind of mingle together around some of the themes that we'll be picking up. That's what we'd love and pray uh, for, the, for the morning service to do anyway, but particularly as we go through these, uh, these passages. So let's read the first part then and just see how it came to be that Jesus said these words. In Matthew 4, I want to start verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, they were ten cities up in the north of, just beyond the north of Israel, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. 
Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And and we'll read on a little bit later. So we've already seen, haven't we, from these verses, this is right at the very beginning of Jesus' career as a traveling teacher in Israel. And he's making a huge impact, isn't he? No one had ever kind of heard anything like this before. He's based in Galilee. Now, Galilee is right at the the north of the kind of Israeli, or the province of Israel in the Roman Empire. Uh, And uh, he's been teaching in the synagogues. He was based in a town called Capernaum. And all the synagogues in that area, he was going around teaching uh, people. Um, And he's healing people. And news has traveled all over that region and over the border into Syria, which is further north. Uh, And we read about Galilee. That's the area of of, uh, northern Israel where he is. The Decapolis, which are ten cities, some of which were in the province of Israel or or Palestine, uh, and others were not. In fact, if you go to Jordan today, I've been to one of them, Jerash, you can go to one of the cities of the Decapolis and, and see the, uh, the, the ruts in the stone left over from where the chariots, the Roman chariots used to go. So we're in the kind of area of Jordan now uh, and then up towards Syria. Now, lots of people are being impacted by this. So the news has kind of spread northwards because, you know, people don't respect borders, uh, so-called, as we see in today's world. And so everyone kind of knew about what was going on and wanted to get in on it and find out what was happening that area north of Galilee into Syria the Decapolis that's not exactly strictly kosher that's not you know where a a good Jew from Jerusalem uh, would want to be because they're Gentiles and they're riffraff and they're a bit you know they had the same idea of of northerners as some I'm ashamed to say some southerners think about northerners like that even even in this country you know Uh, so this idea that they they were kind of up north you know they were just a bit rough and ready they weren't proper Jews you know they were the people that were going but it wasn't just them because Matthew says people also also from Jerusalem uh, Judea, and that was the heartland. That's where everybody really was kosher, because that's where the temple was. And down in the south of Israel, uh, they were also interested in it at all. And what's making the impact? What well, his teaching is. And the, it says here his teaching is all about the kingdom. This expectation, we'll think about in a minute as well, that people had that God was going to do something again. And he was talking about how God is going to intervene as king. And not only that, he's, he's doing amazing things for all kinds of people, including all these rough people from the north, all these Syrians and Romans and Gentiles, as well as true blue uh, Israelis and so on. He's doing amazing things, healing them. All kinds of sick people, all kinds of disturbed people, all kinds of rough people. Jesus is just telling them about the kingdom of God and doing things and just showing how much God loves them and they're being healed and, uh, and rescued from their oppressions and all that kind of stuff. And then on one occasion it says the crowds were so great, so many came that he climbs a hill, uh, probably a small one, um, and uh, a small mountain rather, quite a big hill I guess, uh, we don't really know, but he climbs a hill, that's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, a bunch of people, those who are really committed to find out more, go up with him and listen. 
He's going to teach them. Maybe it was his way of screening. Maybe it's his way of kind of ruling out the people who really wanted to know and those who were just in it for a healing or whatever. But a whole bunch, a whole crowd, we, we know it. This isn't the 12 disciples because the 12 disciples haven't actually been, been named uh, yet at this stage in Matthew's gospel. This is anyone who wanted to know seriously about Jesus, what he's got to say, who he is. They got together up on that mountain and he begins to teach. He's making an impact and Jesus Christ is still making an impact today. Our Western kind of calendar is divided up by his life. Well, it was until about 10, 15 years ago. Well, if you're in academia, you may have noticed that academics no longer like to talk about BC and AD because they don't want to mention Christ. They'd rather talk about before common era, BCE, or after common era. But up until that point, it was Jesus' life that split history. That's quite an impact, isn't it, for someone to make What we know of him, the teaching he left, it's still making a tremendous impact, isn't it? The Bible is a bestseller, still is. Great thinkers, influential people, people much smarter probably than than me, certainly, and all of us here will say about Jesus, listen to this man. He has something to say. You know, people like Gandhi, you know, who said if people followed Jesus, the world would be a different place. Something compelling, something that makes tremendous impact about his life and his teaching. And even today, where people perhaps in the current generation haven't really heard the stories, tragically, there's still an interest. Films about Jesus go well. Books about him don't do too badly. Christmas is as popular as it's ever been. And not just the smaltzy stuff, you know, the singing of the carols and whatnot. I just on a side, wouldn't it? Part of what we want to do as a church is to help the generation who only know Jesus' name as a swear word, know nothing about the stories, to hear them. Uh, I heard of a church in the Midlands, actually, it's a church we used to be in. They've just had a holiday club this last week. They had 280, 300 children every day in a school. Uh, most of them would not have heard the stories of Jesus, but they're hearing them. It'd be great if, if the Lord brought us to a point where we could perhaps do something like that too. And those who do know something of Jesus today are busy trying to sign him up, aren't they, for our causes. So revolutionaries are quoting him. Mystics are claiming him as their own. Muslims see him as a great prophet to be respected. And you may have a movement about social justice, or you may be involved in a movement about ethics or about lifestyle, and whatever kind of movement you're in, if it matters to you, to have the endorsement, as it were, or or Jesus attached to your brand is, is a good thing to be able to do. He's still making that impact. Now, why is that? The story of Jesus' life of love, his sacrifice, his compassion, has inspired millions and millions of people, believers, but non-believers too he makes an impact he did then he still is so what about him we have an opportunity to hear what he has to say for ourselves to go beyond christmas to get a glimpse of what makes him special if we've not been that way before and if we have we have that opportunity to be open about him in our culture not to be shy of naming his name letting people know that we think he's great You know, we have that opportunity in our world because he is still a a figure of, of immense proportions. 
And the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, show him in action. We see his power. We see his courage. We see his strength. We see his awesome integrity. We see his brilliance in just grasping the way life works. You know, and if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you know, expose yourself to, to, to Jesus' teaching, what he actually said. Because it really is compelling. There's a reason why Gandhi and all those big, thoughtful guys think he's great. Because he is great. And we're daft if we haven't read it for ourselves. Or we don't take it seriously. At least give it a go. Read it through. Get into it. Find out. Because when we start to reflect and think about the life and teaching of Jesus, when we think about how he behaves, how he is in the context of his culture... It's amazing. He smashes down the barriers in his culture. The social and religious power structures. He doesn't care. He just goes for it. That's why they crucified him, actually. So you look at his approach to women. Radically different from the culture around him. His approach to children. We've been thinking of families and children just in the dedication. His approach to the sick, the outcasts, the people with leprosy. That was Jesus. Smashed all the kind of norms around him. So we can take, we must take him seriously. We need to, uh, and uh, as believers, enable or encourage other people to take him serious, not to be embarrassed that we've got something to do with him. Because he is an immense and wonderful, amazing character. So we can read the Gospels, give it a thought. If, if you uh, want to get all of Mark's Gospel in one sitting, uh, take yourself to Lindhurst Baptist Church tonight at 6.30 where they're doing the Mark drama. Uh, the whole of Mark's Gospel in about 90 minutes right there in front of you in Lindhurst Baptist Church. Uh, if you're down in the forest, uh, that would be a good place to go, half past six. So let's go back to where he was back then. He made an impact then because of what he said and did, but because he said it at a time of great expectation. People wanted God's blessing. You see, the Israelites knew, the Jewish religion knew that God had promised them that he would again do something. He would again intervene in their history. Their Old Testament prophets were full of promises that God would come and bring his rule and his reign with him, show himself to be the king again. The Old Testament prophets, particularly Isaiah, talked about this coming rule of God. They talked about a figure who would come, who would kind of personify this new beginning that God was going to give them. And you read Isaiah, it's, it's right the way through it. And some of the other Old Testament prophets, some of the smaller ones towards the back end of the Old Testament, if you want to find it there too. The, the language is a, is a bit oblique. It's a bit, you know, pictures, it's poetry, it's kind of images and visions and stuff. But there's this constant theme that the people around had got up, that God had promised to come and do something, to send a king, to set up his reign, to show again what being kind of in touch with the living God was all about. And the Israelites thought, had got hold of that and they were very excited, expecting something to happen. And Jesus comes along, started quoting, started quoting these very prophets, these very promises, starting to talk about, in Matthew's gospel, a kingdom of heaven or a kingdom of God. 
And more than that, he actually went around doing things that the prophet said the king would do, like helping the blind to see, the lame to walk, uh, the dead to be raised, and all that stuff. The Jesus' miracles weren't just kind of for special effect. They were him, him making a point about who he was and what he'd come for. Because anyone who knew the Old Testament prophets would, would be recognizing it, as uh, John the Baptist did on one occasion. But we won't go there now, because it's not time. But whoever they were in Israel, they all had different ideas about what this king would be like. Some were keen for politics, kick out the Romans. Others thought it was all about religion. Some people thought it was all about, you know, heading off to the desert and becoming a a very um, ascetic community. Those people were called the Essenes. The others were called the Pharisees. The Zealots were the politicos. But everybody, whoever they were, wanted to be blessed by God. They wanted to know God working in their time they wanted to know god in their lives and jesus goes up a small mountain with a crowd of interested followers and starts to tell them what the blessing of god looks like and where it comes from see that's the context now i wonder if we went out on the streets today did a survey asked people do you want to be blessed by god I think they probably look blank. Do you? Maybe they wouldn't. Maybe they would. They wouldn't know. What, what are you talking about? But if we went to the same people on the streets today and said, excuse me, would you like to know more of the spiritual in your life? I think they might have a different answer. People want to know something more. That this life is not just about stuff we do and stuff we have. But there's another element to it. So let's go up the mountain and listen in with the crowd and listen to what Jesus Christ has to say about spirituality. See whether it might help us or help people that we know. So let's read Matthew 5, these words. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside And sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Some of Jesus' most famous teaching. You read them at once and you see, whoa, this is thoughtful. This is like poetry. It's this kind of stop you in your tracks type teaching, isn't it? That you get from Jesus. They call the Beatitudes because the word Beatitude is Latin for blessing. And each one begins, blessed are blessed are what can we say about them how do they come across to you let me share a bit about how they come across to me see if you agree they certainly make us stop and think don't they if you just read them look at them think about them they raise questions right immediately you know like jesus did this a lot because blessed means to be happy to be fortunate to be kind of knowing good stuff in your experience from God. So to start off then, how on earth can those who mourn be happy? What? Just a minute. 
you know, already you're thinking, what's this about Jesus? What, you know, what are you doing? You know, what, are you, what are you saying here? You also immediately see, don't you, that it's also very different from the way the world works. Some of you think, this, this is mad, this is crazy. This isn't the way the world works. These, you know, these, these, these people, they're the losers, they're the weak, they're the broken, they're, they're, they're the hopeless. Don't tell me that, you know, as CJ used to famously say in the old Reggie Perrin series, I didn't get where I am today by being meek or being, being a peacemaker or whatever. That's not the way that the, work, the world works. Already it's, there's, this, there's this hint that this is countercultural, this is different. This whole idea is quite literally out of this world. They stop and make a stop and think. They work together. It's a picture of a group of people who are all blessed. It's all in the plural, isn't it? He's not talking about individual ones, but he's talking about this kind of, there's a hint towards the end of it as you move on that this is a community here that are being talked about. And it's not just a list of nine different types of people, but it's a kind of composite picture of all of them. It's not just about a spiritual elite of people who might go out and try and get those things in their experience. No, it's for every believer. This is the normal experience of spiritual people, people blessed to have God's touch in their lives. And they also point towards where it comes from, don't they? The source of it. Now, we know how Jesus taught. You remember how Jesus taught? He took big ideas about life and God and the universe and all that kind of stuff, and he pulled those ideas out from, and explained them from what's going on around him. So on one occasion, there's a sower. He tells a story about a sower, and he uses that to kind of uh, to tell people uh, what he wants to tell them. Another occasion, there's an argument between two brothers, and, and that argument becomes the means, Jesus says, you know, to, to teach them. Uh, on one occasion, he's talking to a lady by a well, and he talks about water from the well, uh, you know, living water, spiritual, alive water. You know, Jesus, all the time, when he said things, he was kind of pulling in what's going around him to, to make his point. Okay, what's going on around him here? Who is this crowd around him that he's saying, you're blessed? Who are they? People from rough places like Syria. People who had leprosy, people who had demons, people who were in severe pain up until very recently. He looks at those people and he starts talking about spirituality, about knowing God. And think about those people. These are people that had not been looking for spirituality. In fact, most of them would have been banned from any decent synagogue that wanted to be called a synagogue because of their sickness or because of their race or because of their demon possession or because of the stuff they had. They would just not have been anywhere near a synagogue. It wouldn't have been allowed. None of them had decided to become spiritual or go on a course where they'll make themselves spiritual. They were simply people who had heard about God's rule, God's love, God's rule in people's lives. They'd heard about the king and they'd asked him to do something for them. And he had. That was it. So what does it say to us? Being spiritual? Being blessed? It's not about being religious. It's not about being good. It's not about being clever. It's not about being healthy. It's not about being influential. It's not about being rich. It's not actually about being poor either for that matter. It's not about being anything. Being blessed comes from the hand of the king. That's what it's saying. 
as Jesus looks at these people. And the big message of the Bible, as we know, is that we can live within the realm of God's kingdom, his rule, or we can live outside of it. If we're out of God's rule, we're living for something else. Ultimately, it's what we want or what the culture says we should want. We give our lives to those things. Ultimately, we want to be in charge. We make gods that suit us, or we think we do. Later, we discover that actually we thought we made them, but we discover that they're pulling our strings. And they're a little bit real, more real than we thought they might be. As we see the, the havoc and the, the, the mess they make in our lives. Because we refuse to live under God's loving rule. We'd rather live for ourselves. And Jesus came to break us out of that, to call us back to God, to call us back to what we're made for. There's a verse in the New Testament that's coming up on the screen. It's Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14. This is how the Apostle Paul describes what uh, Jesus came to do, really. It's from kind of the other end of um, the story, as it were. This is after Jesus has been raised from the dead and many people have come to know him. And this is how the Apostle Paul describes the experience. Verse 13 of two, one, one Colossians, uh, Colossians 1, verse 13. Colossians 1, verse 13. I think we got the wrong one. Sorry, Bill, I gave it to you wrong, but I'll read it. If you want to see it, it's on page 1182. But listen to the words. He has, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins he rescues us by his death on a cross and everything else he did now what does it feel like to be needing rescue anyone been in that position i won't ask you been on a ledge somewhere thinking I'm going to fall off this ledge unless I'm rescued. Or if you, anyone been down a pothole and broken something and lying there or in a place, what does it feel like to need rescue? Drifting in a sea. You're at the end, aren't you? You're hopeless. You're not able to do anything about it for yourself. You're a bit like that story Jesus told of the prodigal son. Well, the two sons, but the one that left home. He's with the pigs in the pigsty. At the end of his, he comes to his senses. He says, I'm in a mess here. I need to go back home. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Those are at a point in our lives when we say, I'm at the end. I've got nothing in the tank. Spirituality, you don't know what I'm like. God's love, give me, do me a favor. I've got nothing. I'm at the end. That's the route, Jesus says, to real spirituality. Knowing that I need rescuing, knowing that I've got nothing, and being desperate enough to mourn about it. Now, there's going to be much more of this next week. But this is where Jesus starts. This is where spirituality lies. God in our lives starts with a poverty of spirit that will receive the gift of his rescue and the rule of the king, just like those people from Syria and all those places.
So I'm going to close with a question. Are we living in that blessing as Christians? You see, some of us as Christians think, well, that's the first stage in the process. Tick, done that. I can move on. It is not a stage in the process. It is how we continue as believers. We are still spiritual little paupers. We've got nothing. We've got absolutely nothing to give. God offers his rescue and his forgiveness and his life as a free gift. We can't pay for it. And as believers, we must never leave this great news of the king who touches our lives. We must never leave that great news behind us. We live out of that true spirituality. We carry on as people profoundly affected by knowing that we've got nothing. We are nothing. And he is everything. And boy, do we in our kind of churches need to live that way. Because so often we come across as, we've got everything. We've got all the answers. Everything's fine with us. Hey, hey, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Yeah, we've got no questions. We, we're cool. Sorry about your problem, but, you know, if you were like that, like us, it would be fine. That's not, yeah, that's not what we should be. We are poor in spirit. We've got nothing. He's got everything. And he gives it to us in the good news of his death, his resurrection, and the power of the Spirit in our lives. So do we behave like that? Or do we kind of behave as if our bank account spiritually is actually pretty good, really? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Or maybe for some of us, we could just start by reaching out and asking the king to touch our lives because we need him for no other reason. We've nothing left, and we walk with him into a new kind of life. Do that. Ask him. Tell him about it. It's an opportunity to pray, just as we sing the songs. Do that. Tell him, and he'll tell one of us, or come down and get some prayer, or whatever. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus says. Blessed are those who mourn. Talk about that next week. Let's be people who are truly spiritual, the Jesus way, as we walk with him together. Guys, thanks.